Welcome to Pivot to First. I'm Mike Seidel, and every day as CTO at Pivot CX, I get to work with some of the brightest people in the world solving one problem, how to fix hiring. Today, I'm joined by author and SaaS strategy consultant, Tan Dabi. Tan is the op author of The Remarkable Effect, and he's the host of Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission. Tan and I met when I was a guest on his podcast, and so I'm really, really excited to have Tan here today. Welcome, Tan. Thank you. Hi, Mike. Hi, how are you? Before we dig in, tell us a little bit about the remarkable, the remarkable effect and a little bit about your podcast. Well, I mean, the, these, these two things actually go hand in hand. The, the, the podcast was the first one. And I started the podcast because I, at that moment in time, I started my own consultancy and I wanted to really understand um, what it means to build a remarkable software business. Um, you know, I can do research online, but I, I thought I needed to do something that is continuous, where I can learn from the best. And uh, that's where I started. And I did my first podcast and my second, and then it became number 10. And then it just became a flow. And after about six, 60 or 70 episodes, someone came to me and said, there's a lot of value in these podcasts. There's a lot of learning and wisdom and the things you should do and shouldn't do. You need to write a book about this. And I mean... I'm bad in reading, let alone writing a book. So that was like a, a big, steep hill for me to cross. But at the end, I, uh, I realized it was a really good thing to do to get also my, uh, my thinking in order. And um, that's where the, uh, the remarkable effects uh, came alive. And this book is really about the 10 traits that define those software companies that we just keep talking about. Um, and that fascinates me. Well, you know, so at the so at the heart of this thing, my company Pivot CX, we're a software as a service company. We're the very kind of company that that you talk about in your book. So I've got to ask you, uh, what do we need to do at Pivot CX to be the SaaS company the whole world is talking about? Oh, there's a lot of uh, well, there's, there's, well, it, it starts at the end with understanding where you stand today. You know, that's why I've developed uh, an assessment that you can actually find on my website. Um, whereby you address, you assess yourself around those 10 traits. Um, so what is the gap between where you are today versus where you possibly could be? And of course, it's always a stretch goal, but it is about um, really getting an understanding of um, that you uh, cannot please everyone. That's the first trait. The second one is that, uh, I mean, how are you uh, moving the bar, the bar on delivering something both valuable and desirable? Third thing is, uh, whether you are aiming to be different, not just better. And that continues like that. I can go through all the 10 traits, but I mean, it's your podcast, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for it's, us... It's really understanding that. And it's, it's, um, the assessment itself is really helping you to, um, to get the blinders off because it's about getting the truth. Yeah, getting to the truth is hard. Um, that, that, for me, has been something in my entrepreneurial journey. Um, has been the hardest thing to get to. At first, you, you kind of have ego that gets in the way. And then once you knock away your ego, then you find out you have all these people around you and working for you that want to do nothing other than make you happy. And it turns out that uh, sometimes in, in their, their drive to make you happy, uh, all these great people that are around you might, might not tell you what the facts are or tell you the, the unvarnished truth that you need to know to make good business decisions. So exactly. that is just a, such an underrated thing to know the truth and know those facts and act on them. 
completely agree. It's the biggest thing and the biggest problem I see. I mean, I used to work for a software company that started with, when I started, it was 90 people. And later on, when I left, it was 4,000 people. And I mean, the level of complacency that builds up in a company like that, where you're just telling yourself all those stories about, we're doing fine, we're doing great, we're the best. Uh, and you come and you look at it, start to look at it from the outside, because at some point you're disconnected. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> we yeah. haven't seen a number of things here. Eventually, eventually, um, you know, you start kind of believing all the people around you instead of instead of going and, you know, hey, I'm going to trust you, but I'm also going to verify it. And um, it's it's hard. So that is that is absolutely something I've run across. And it's something at least at, at Pivot CX, we've worked really hard internally to make sure that all of our employees feel really, really safe when we're talking about facts that might not be comfortable because uh, myself and, and the other leaders here, we just all want to know what are the facts so that we can make good decisions. It's impossible to make a good decision if you don't know what the truth is, if you don't know where North is. Completely agree. Completely so, agree. so here's, here's a question for you. As, as you grow a SaaS company, how important is talent uh, when it comes to growing a, a successful company and getting to where the whole world is talking about you? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've published approximately 205 or six uh, episodes at the time that we record this. Um, when I asked the question, uh, what it takes to, to, I mean, at the end of the podcast, I always ask the same similar type of question, or I, I don't ask whether it's people that are important. Um, but a lot of times it comes back like that, that uh, what are you most proud of? The team, the team that we built, the, 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 the people that really believe in the vision, that are acting as a team, not as individual uh, egos, um, and that we are moving towards something together. Um, but what they also say, uh, well, I mean, people is super important. Uh, it's important. And it's different people at different stages of the company. So in the beginning, the story that I typically get, and that's also what I've seen, is that you need more generalists, people that can have different hats on because, you know, in the startup world, uh, it's not that if you're hired for marketing that you, that you shouldn't do sales or you shouldn't do something else because the company is still small. And later on, it moves towards specialists. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, uh, and, and that's, that's where really where the problems start, start to hit the fan. I'll tell you one of the things that, that's always hard for me, and this is this is my uh, Pivot CX is my sixth company I've started, and the hardest thing for me is the people you need at the beginning are people that can get work done, yeah. and that doesn't always mean they're good leaders, and that doesn't always mean that uh, they're good strategists. It means uh, they're they're reliable, they'll work hard, um, they'll be smart about how they work and everything. But it's so hard to go from this this early stage where you get all these people that are working really hard and building and and all of that to where you get into, okay, now we've got a lot of customers and we've got all these externalities like investors that want reports and that kind of thing. Um, And it brings in new kinds of people. It it really drives change and makes it uh, well, makes it so being an entrepreneur, there's never really a dull moment, right? (laughs) No, exactly. So um, what is the most important thing for founders and leaders to focus on, uh, you know, when they approach hiring and, and people? What, what is it that makes all the difference? Well, 
recently I've started to, uh, I mean, what I've of course always seen, and I've been guilty of that myself. I mean, the question is whether it's guilty, but I mean, it's, it's the typical thing that we all do that, you know, you, uh, you hire someone, you create a, a job profile and you look for experience. So you get a hundred of the, of those replies. And then based on like the credentials of people, you should start shifting. What I hear more and more and more is that people don't look at all the credentials, but they look at, at the skills and the potential of the people that, for example, a person that has done um, this and this and this together can become uh, something that exactly is what I want, rather than hiring someone that's already a pro on that, um, that might leave and also has a crazy salary uh, uh, connected to that. So it's hiring for skills. Um, another thing that I hear a lot is hiring for culture. Uh, because at the end, uh, it's important. It's really important that you fit a, that you fit the company, because uh, not all companies are created equal. And I've had a couple of people on my podcast that have actually developed software to to measure culture, like what is the culture. Uh, also, because with every person you hire and every person you that leaves, culture is changing. It's there's adding that there, there is things added to it and distracted from it. So it's not something that you create once, put on the wall and say, this is it. Uh, it's a moving target. And even in the larger companies, you see, you see subcultures. Um, uh, for example, in, in, in the German office, there is this culture in the, in, in the UK office, that all culture. And even between sales and marketing and, and finance can be different cultures because it's the group of people that work together and that work a certain way. So it's super important to understand what, yeah, what the company is really all about and how you want to support it. And, and then look at it with those eyes to see whether the people you're going to hire, even if they are incredibly skilled or ex incredibly experienced, if you can see from the get-go, they're not going to fit, don't do it. That's time. That's, that goes right along with the experience I've had building my companies, um, especially early on. When you're making those first few hires that you make, uh, they're critical, not not necessarily because of skills and all that, but just because they're going to lay lay down the foundations of what will grow yep. to become the culture. And and even when you get to 50, 60 people, every hire you make has potential to tip that culture the wrong way or tip it the right way. So that that's I've seen so many times in companies where they're going along great. They make a hire, they bring in somebody and um, six months later, we're all asking what happened. And it turns yeah. out that we had somebody come in that brought maybe something that didn't fit into the, the, the culture that was being built. And, and it becomes quite destructive. Well, it's not only, yeah, it's, it's destructive. It's super expensive because you spend time learning uh, kind of new skills to these people to get them up and running. Um, and then it all collapses. I mean, I've, I've, one of the people that I interviewed for my podcast uh, and also interviewed for my second book, which is sub, well, it's, uh, it's themed remarkable resilience and it's about the, uh, yeah, what are the big learnings from companies, uh, about the, the, the recent pandemic, the recent crisis and how to not only bounce back from adversity, but actually become out, come out a stronger company. One of the things that, for example, Jeff Jonas said, who's the, the CEO of a company called Sensing, is that he keeps hiring people as contractors until he is sure that he wants something and he found something that he wants to have for the, for the, for the rest of his life. Uh, to, 
so that's that's also a way of looking at it. We really, really consist well, um, conservative possibly with uh, with hiring. Um, and another thing that um, that I also really believe in that's a quote that I recently recently have uh, I've uh, copied also in episode two hundred of my podcast from Oren, uh, the CEO of a company called Savegraph, uh, Oren Hoffman. Um, he said, every person in the company is what I call an, a, cap, a capital allocator, which is the, the Warren Buffett type uh, mantra. And he said, all these people get money from me to leverage themselves. And the reason why I'm doing that is because I don't want to grow the company uh, and say and be proud of something where I say, okay, I've got a company of 100 people or 1,000 people. He said, the moment that people have 100 or 1,000 people and that that is their story, you know they have a big problem because every person you add to a company, communication becomes more difficult. Um, so it's not against people, but it's really be 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 clear about you know what can you do to grow a, a sustainable business, uh, and what is the role of people and the role of of tools in there. Well, so these are various, yeah, a range of of, of different. Yeah, strategies or ideas, I would say, to to go about it. Well, I know, I know, all my all my uh, you know life in the tech world, um, I've always looked at two companies as examples. You have Microsoft over here as this giant behemoth with you know almost a hundred thousand employees, and then another company that I always bring up when people are talking about defining success, and I'll, I'll bring up Craigslist, which famously has less than uh, thirty employees, <laughs> and. Um, if you look at the company by metrics and number of dollars they produce per employee and all of that good stuff, uh, Craigslist is really, really, really good. You know, it's a small team, huge amount of revenue, um, very happy customers. You, you know, maybe the product doesn't look like what you'd want it to look like if you're a designer, but um, it's very interesting how, how the definition of what success is that different yeah. entrepreneurs have. Exactly. really permeate into their people strategy and, and sometimes success is let's have a big company with lots of headcount and it leads to some very uh, interesting decision making maybe that that isn't the best yeah that's true that's true it's um yeah yeah how do you want yeah what type of company you want to create i think that's the, that's possibly the starting the starting decision that you have to make first uh, um and of course, another thing that is super important to, to keep everybody um, as highly productive as they can possibly be is the definition of vision. This is something that really came out strongly uh, when I was interviewing for my second book, uh, The North Star, uh, particularly also in the, in a, in the, in a, in a uh, landscape of crisis, you know, that you can actually step back and say, okay, wait a minute, this is what we're doing it for. It might not it mean our kind of the, the road that we're currently on is maybe cut because our customers are you know in freeze mode they don't invest anymore maybe they're, they're uh, um, maybe their uh, pains have changed or their, their desires or the needs have changed but at the end we'll find a way out of that again because there is no there is no map yet for what we have defined how we can get to the, to uh, to achieve our vision so let's find new paths uh, but it's really in those type of situations you need to be all in, uh, and that's where yeah, a vision alignment becomes is, becomes a super important criteria. No, it really uh, having it, having your team be all in on what you're doing is just critical. And I know our own story at Pivot CX when COVID hit, we uh, 
we lost 85% of our revenue in a one month period. And we lost most of our uh, paying customers just, just all at once. And we had these three, four customers that stayed with us through, uh, through COVID and told us, Hey, we really like what you're doing for us. We don't want, you know, whatever you do, don't go out of business. And yeah. so, um, we made a little bit of a pivot and changed our company from, uh, this kind of Yelp for jobs app that, that was just extra and wasn't very valuable to our customers to this. Uh, we, we actually doubled down on our chat system that we had started working with some of our customers with, uh, all the customers that stayed with us were on that platform. And by focusing on that one, uh, really just huge problem, which was, um, we get plenty of job applications. We're not able to engage with these candidates fast enough to actually hire them. Um, so we built a platform for that, brought it to market in the middle of that COVID market. And, uh, you know, I think when I was on your podcast almost a year ago, um, we had doubled up uh, 2020's revenue by, I think, June. Um, we just doubled 2021's revenue and it's only March. <laughs> so we're, we're, ha we're having a fantastic year. But the reason it's fantastic is because the vision and the focus has moved away from um, you know, I think, I think for a long time we were trying to validate that we had this great idea and what's happened now is that our focus has become, you know, our customers have a problem. We're going to do everything we can to solve this one little problem. We're going to bring the right products and the right service to bear on this one problem and help these companies hire accurately and quickly. And that's made a big difference for us just by having that focus. But, you know, back to people strategy and something that you said earlier, um, we managed to keep a hundred percent of our people that went yep. into that, that period. Yep. So we've kept these really great people that are bought into the vision and, uh, now we're starting to grow out of it. And, um, I, I just can't agree with you more about the importance of, of having vision and, and people that are bought into that vision. It makes all the yep. difference. So you get to look at a lot of, a lot of companies. And I know in your mastermind meetings that you do and everything, um, you, you talk to so many CEOs and so many people that are kind of like me, where they're trying to build a company. What are the things that you see SaaS entrepreneurs getting wrong in their people strategy? Where, where are they going off the rails? Oof. Not sure. I'm not sure whether they're going off the rails, but I mean, everybody makes bad hires. Um, and sometimes you don't see it, you know, it, it all, it all looked good. Um, and then, and then, yeah, then suddenly it doesn't look good anymore. So what I continuously hear, and I've had a couple of those scenarios where actually it became part of a hot seat. And so what to do, for example, co-founders, um, uh, or, or a couple of really key people that are needed on the journey that didn't turn out to be the people kind of the, the, the big thing at the end is, you know, if, if, if it starts to be smelly. Uh, as they called it a couple of times on the on the on the mastermind, nip it in the butt, act on it, and get and get it over. Um, because it can also take you down, especially if, if you're a small company. Let me see another thing that that I continuously hear back as things that go wrong. Um, yeah, it's it's it is about that alignment um, and about you know. Whether, whether you try to create a company where where you try to make people work across boundaries rather than in silos. Um, 
that the moment people work in silos and they get that sole objective to get one thing done, what you often see is that things are not aligned between them. But if people are, if you hire the wrong people, if you hire people for that particular objective, it can also get get pretty toxic there. And uh, you know, people don't care about what the others are doing as long as I make my I make my numbers. And that, of course, can't be the case as well. So I've had a couple of, I've, I mean, in the number of podcasts that I did, I heard a couple of corrections on that. Whereby they said it was never possible to to create, for example, cross-boundary teams. But when COVID hit and everything stopped, and we had to furlough a couple of people. We just did it. And my God, it, we should have done this way earlier. Um, make people work on projects, uh, get them more involved, make them part of, like, uh, I mean, you get diversity in there as well. For example, on the, on the product side or on the sales side, you know, it, it doesn't really hurt to have people from other departments looking at it with fresh eyes and say, hey, wait a minute, why are we doing this? Why can't we do it that way? Um, so diversity there is really important. That's another thing, by the way, that's a trend in itself. I mean, so many people that I had on the podcast that are in that in that whole thing of getting diversity right, where people don't even know whether, what their diversity number is. And they possibly think it's only like men and women or white and, and not white and whatever the diversity flavor is, of course. Um, so many companies don't even know what the number is, let alone how to manage it and get it to a, to a new level. So diversity is an is a one that it also comes back that companies that have diverse that hire diverse get better results. Continuously, that is, is something that I keep hearing back. It's really true. Um, diversity, there, there is something about having different ideas and people with different cultural backgrounds coming together. Yeah. Um, you, you, you do get a kind of strength and, and honestly, as an entrepreneur, there's like one concept that uh, I really look for in people I hire. And that's, I look for people that have an eye for opportunity and what you find when you have people with different backgrounds is they find different kinds of opportunities. And that can be a tremendous, uh, force multiplier for a company growing when you have people that are out there looking at, at the world and seeing it through different a different view than maybe I have or you have, yeah. it can really make a difference in what you're yeah. able to do as a a, a company. And and sometimes, um, and and you know this with with growing uh, small companies into big ones, sometimes a little one degree turn of the rudder is enough to guide uh, the whole thing up and to the right, like it needs yeah. to go. And exactly. it, it's that that's where diversity is so important. Um, so uh, you're another asking, thing that I'd like to add to that, um, and and that's also a, a number of times that I keep hearing this, and and sort of the source of a number of problems is that you you're too much reliant on hiring from within your network, the people that know the people, and the people that are maybe advised to you by your board advisors or by any, by your investors or by people in your own organization. And, and although that might sound like, okay, that's maybe safe and, and, and because at least you have some connections, you know how these people are, it can also breed an organization that is, yeah, that's not the right one. And that's where bias comes in, you know? How are we hiring? And what you see more and more and more is these tools that actually take out all the things that could create bias, names, uh, age, uh, whether it's female or male, whatever, I mean, uh, background, and to, to just concentrate on, okay, is this the right people for what we're looking for? And then reveal all of that. Um, you, you know, I'm glad, you, 
glad you bring that up, Todd. That that's actually part of what we do for our customers. Um, you know, we, we go in and, and at first it's all about speed of communication. So we get it to where every candidate gets to talk to a live person after they apply for a job. But what, what happens once we get that little initial communication thing solved is we start really looking at the whole hiring process for our customers. And what we found is a lot of companies are very, very bad at hiring for aptitude and potential, like you were talking about earlier. And they're very much focused on uh, looking at a resume and trying to analyze experience and yep. trying to go, well, because this person went to the right schools and did all these things the way that I think they should do it, they're probably a good candidate. And a lot of times you find yourself in a diversity trap when you have that kind of thinking, because if everybody can only go to three different schools, you very much limited the population away from um, a diverse population. So that makes a big, uh, a big difference. But yep. what's really interesting is we're starting to see with our clients, a lot more of our customers are moving to a model where even for positions that require advanced college degrees, they're starting to do assessments and do uh, skills testing, even as part of their recruiting process before they interview. And the reason for that is they, they want a more, uh, a less biased view of the candidate than what they get from just a resume and yeah. what they get from the opinion of the hiring manager and the recruiter. Um, and much more of a, Hey, we're going to have everybody answer the same questions. So, and all the people that, that are coming in going to take the same skills test assessment. And we're going to really take these empirical numbers and make that part of the data that we're going to give to these hiring managers so they can make a better decision. It's so key. Exactly. So, being empirical is uh, just, it's underrated. It's a skill. It's important. And I, I do love a lot of the tools I see out there that are starting to take out a lot of the personal identify, personally identifiable things so that we can get to even a more unbiased opinion. Um, th that's, that is the future. Super important. Yeah. yeah. And luckily that's where technology comes in, you know, and that's where the, that's exactly the, the, the whole purpose of the podcast that I'm running myself is like, the, the stories about the value that we can create when technology and people blend in the right way. You know, that, that there's so much, there's so much amplification to do, uh, to make people do things they've never been able to do before. So uh, last, last question for you before we uh, finish up here is, so you're, you're, you've got a SaaS company and, and this happens all the time. You, you've been building this thing for a few years. Maybe, maybe it's been three years, maybe it's been five or even longer. Um, you just haven't got to that that you know magic upshot where the the revenue goes up into the right and keeps you know going vertical no hockey stick um how, how do you assess where you're at and figure out how to get on a path where you can do that oh <laughs> i mean first of all traction comes in, in 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 different stages and what is good for one stage it might not be good for for another stage how do you track that yeah it's it's in the metrics um, but are you talking about the people side or actually is, is it more the business side? I think it's kind of both. It's really sometimes your people, it's easy to point at it and go, oh, we got the wrong people doing the work here. But a lot of times, um, I think sometimes we have fundamental problems. And I, I know you like to talk about value a lot. And I, I, I feel like a lot of times, at least when I have other entrepreneurs come to me and go, hey, Mike, I've been doing this for a long time. How come we haven't yeah. made it big yet? Or how come I can't raise another round of capital? And a lot of times the, uh, the answer is um, kind of simple. It's, uh, well, um, have you really looked at what value you're providing your customers? 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. I was going, I was going there. Now, I mean, I recently actually wrote a big blog about uh, like a number of ways to create leverage, or like that a lot of companies forget to create the leverage that they need to do. And one of the things that actually why I started my business was this crazy statistic that nine out of ten startups fail. Um, or and sometimes, I mean, I actually last week I saw one that ninety nine percent of startup fails, which is even a more de depressing number. <laughs> so. Um, I mean, startups, of course, these are early ideas. And I mean, the moment you start a startup, uh, it, yeah, the question of whether it's going to be viable for life is going to be de determined on a number of things. But then a number comes like 75% of scale-ups fail. Scale-ups really have a, a product market fit. And I think that's where the first thing is, you know, getting towards product market fit. Because once you get to product market fit, that's where traction really can start to happen because you can some, you can sell something repeatable. And too often companies think they have it, but they don't. You know, and it's this simple question. Um, goes back your to customers. what we goes back to what we started talking about at the beginning of of, of this episode. Um, you know, knowing what the facts are and and having people around you that are aren't afraid to tell you, hey, our traction isn't real here. Yeah, but it's a, it's a very simple question at the end, you know, if you go to your customers and some people talk about the, the net presenter score, I like this question, like, um, would you miss it if it was gone? <laughs> yeah. And if, if, I mean, how, and what, how would you feel if it was gone? If it's like, okay, you know, I'm okay. I move on to the next, then you haven't got product market fit. But the moment they say I'm, I would be very disappointed. That's where that's a very good sign, and that's something to uh, to say. Okay, now now we're there because if you then have, then it goes to the next thing: segment get segmentation right. And a lot of companies think they have that right, but they're far too they're far too broad. You know, they go after the large total addressable market, the TAM, because investors are looking for that. Um, you know, really, I mean, it comes down to understanding like what. What is a niche that you can dominate in and then grow, grow from there? But the moment you do that right, um, getting that problem right and getting that product market fit right is way easier. Um, and then once that is happening, once you got your product market fit right, once you get your, your niche right, so really understanding who you're for and who you're not for, even if they're in the same demographics, that's very powerful. And then it's about positioning and, and yeah, building a, an outside-in value story which is about the customer and not you as a business. And I'm, today I've actually been working on a, on a project for one of my companies, one of the customers that I have in Poland. And I've assessed 10 pretty, pretty cool and pretty big uh, software vendors. Uh, out of the 10 that I've assessed, nine were the, the, the first thing on the website was we are the leading X. And the funny thing <laughs> is they're all in the same, they're in the same sector. And I think nine out of the 10 or nine or eight out of the 10 were the leader for some reason. <laughs> so, um, and it was all about them and not about, and not about the customer. And that is a big mistake. You know, the moment you just turn it around and I mean, you can call it the, 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 the golden circle from Simon Sinek, the why, the how, the what, the really kind of taking a viewpoint of what is keeping your customer awake at night. And how do we solve that problem that is super valuable for them and super critical for them? Because these things are really important. Um, I love the question, what, what, you know, what would happen if your product was gone? What would your customers do? That, that question is so powerful. And yeah. honestly, uh, Tan, the reason that I'm still here doing what I'm doing with this company 
is because we, we hit one of those moments when COVID hit and we had to answer that question. And we found out that um, what we were doing was not that valuable. And we found a little glimmer of something that was and kept working on that. And it has made all the difference. Um, It it just, uh, it's, it's not really magic. But when you, when you look at it, there's an inflection point in our, our growth where it just went from kind of flat line to up and to the right like it needs to. Good. But it all comes from uh, really solving a problem that matters to those customers. Exactly. And, and I, I got to agree with you about the uh, looking at websites and seeing we are the leading this or the leading that. Um, if, you're, if your marketing team is telling you to go with that, you're probably A, not the leader and B, um, probably need to look at what you're doing and go, what value am I really providing? Because leading the market isn't necessarily driving any value for anybody. It just means that, no. that you think you're in the first place. No. It reminds me again of, uh, I mean, back in the, back in early 2000, I was, uh, I, I started heading up uh, analyst relations. And one of the, the things that I started doing was, of course, also building that relationship with Gardner and Gardner and the Magic Quadrants. And of course, we had to come, we had to be presented in that Magic Quadrant for, ERP for enterprise research planning. And at some point we did, and we were at the top right corner of the lowest quadrant. And everybody in the company was like, how is this possible? And why are we not in the, in the, in the top corner of the, of the most, well, I mean, in the, in the, in the, in the right top corner. And the question at the end is like, it all depends how you, how you explain it also to your customers, because uh, the ones that are in the top, top corner, they have global reach and we didn't have global reach, but we were the, like, we were in the top corner around in the quadrant of the visionaire. And that has a specific value to the right customer. You know, they don't want to have that, 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 that vendor up in the top. They want to have the vendor that, that meets their particular requirements and does the best thing possible for them. Um, so yeah, it's, um, to, uh, focus on the customer. And not try to kind of get all the awards and all the accolades, and uh, yeah, try to be to artificially push yourself in the wrong in the wrong in the wrong maneuvers. Thanks, Tom. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I re- really appreciate you spending time with us here today, uh, Tom Dobby, uh, author of. Uh, the Remarkable Effect, and uh, also uh, host of the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. Thanks so much for being with us today. Look forward to seeing you again sometime in the future. That's uh, likewise. And uh, luckily, the kind of the uh, the, the pandemic is uh, getting a little bit behind us. Uh, I think kind of countries are opening again. We, we are allowed to do things again. So hopefully I'll end up uh, on a plane to the United States at some point in time. We can meet up. That'd be fantastic. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for uh, thank you for being here.